Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. He's a former Marine and she's a trained graphic designer, and now they're turning their talents towards the fashion industry. We talked to the brother and sister team behind the apparel brand, Just Mystic. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. In North America, the apparel, fashion and beauty industry is said to generate around $600 billion each year and employs more than 4 million people. And across the globe, the industry is worth a staggering $2.5 trillion. So imagine entering this business sector with its ever-changing trends, designs, seasonal and celebrity influences and the less positive side of how garments are made around the world sometimes in less than favourable conditions. All that aside, we love to spend money on new clothes, and I caught up with brother and sister duo Rob Nelson and Amanda Cumming at their new shop front in downtown Mystic to talk fashion and their new endeavour called Just Mystic. Amanda and Robert, welcome to Connecticut East this week. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for visiting the store. It's a very nice store. Let's talk about that first, and then we'll get into the rest of the story. How did this happen? Because this is a great location. I mean, just to let people know, and I'll let both of you explain a little bit more in a minute, we are basically right next to the Baskill Bridge, as it now seems to be referred to ever since it turned 100 years old. But uh, So tell us a little bit more about how this storefront came along. Yeah, I'll uh, kick it off. Basically... You know, we started building a brand about 18 months ago, and we're just meeting as many local businesses as possible and trying to build great relationships. And that's kind of the initial foundation. And one of the relationships we built was with the, the Whalers Inn across the street, one of the iconic boutique hotels here. There was an opportunity, as they now own the building, to move in here, really based on our relationship with them. And not only that, but an opportunity to renovate the space, which you know, Amanda can talk about. Yes, yeah, so we recently completed a seven-week renovation where we kind of took the store from like a pop-up to a true, you know, new build with the refinished floors, new paint, lots of cosmetic, but added new lighting. Just has a great coastal modern feel, welcoming, and people come in here and they're, you know, it says it feels like fresh and inviting, like they're walking into like a living room. So that was kind of the feel we're going for. Our design is clean, classic, simple, and that is also in the storefront as well. It's got a very New England feel to it. Absolutely. I mean, it's very bright. Lots of windows in this store, which yes. that's never a bad thing either, is it? But, I mean, beautiful. I mean, it's, it's very clean. As you say, clean, pristine, but it's got that very slight New England feel. You also share the space at the moment with the Greater Mystic Chamber of Commerce. That must be helpful as well because they're a great organisation. And, of course, it's nice, I suppose, for them to have a bit of a space closer to the downtown area as well. So does that help drive a bit of traffic in here for you guys? Absolutely. Throughout the summer, we were just really thrilled with the people that came in asking questions not only about Mystic, but also how this store came to be. So we can help people point you know, to the Mystic Seaport Aquarium, 
but also give them apparel that they can wear home after they visit Mystic. We're very keen and very focused on building relationships with the, with the greater community. And again, that's really how this opportunity came to be, building a great relationship with the management of the Whalers Inn, but also with, with the Chamber of Commerce. You know, early on, we established that relationship. And so it just made this a bit more of a natural and easy fit for us to work together in this space. Small businesses, as they say, are the backbone of America. As I said, we'll be talking more about the business as we go through the interview. But let's get a little bit of history on the both of you as well. As you say, brother and sister team. Yeah. I'm sure that has its challenges sometimes. I've got a sister and I love her to death. <laughs> but, uh, you know, family sometimes can be the most difficult to work with. But tell us a little bit about your background because, Robert, you've got... I would say a slightly more unusual background before you got into this. You were a Marine many years ago, for which we thank you, obviously, for your service to the country. But then you went into, like, the fashion business, sort of. Amanda got you into it, would that be right? Maybe. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Amanda's really been a design and kind of, like, creative force in the family for a long time. And something I remember being the younger brother, just kind of seeing some of that creative spirit. So I think boy has been cognizant of that. But yeah, I joined the Marines after college. I was an officer, felt like the, the right thing to do at the right time. And then I went into management consulting for several years for a large corporate firm and then business school. And then really it was in business school that I was able to kind of parallel path both business and design. So studying both tracks and that ultimately you know, led to a great job at Nike where I was for a few years and just kind of realized when I was at Nike and having already been in a, a couple of corporate environments that I really wanted to do my own thing and yeah, no better person to do with than your sister, who is also a creator. Let's quickly talk about the global brand before we hop across to Amanda. There must be lessons that you can take away from big organizations like that, even though they are huge. Can you scale them down to like a smaller business? I mean, just give us a bit of an idea, because clearly it's great to work for organizations like that. And then, like you said, I want to try something myself. So, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that I recognized at, at Nike was just an incredible level of professionalism. And it, you can always take professionalism, you know, to, to any scale. And so I think that's something we're trying to institute here. And, you know, although this is a small shop, small business right now, you know, we are thinking about how do we scale this. And I think corporations, especially a corporation like Nike, has incredible processes that we can emulate in some ways. We don't want to become too bureaucratic too fast because that will slow us down. But I think really, yeah, the professionalism is, is something that we're trying to bring into this company and then scale that. Amanda, talk to us about your background, because again, a bit more of a creative, probably a more consistent creative background from you. But, you know, give us give us the Amanda history. Yes. So I've always just had a sense of love of design, passion for design. So I started out as a graphic designer. So that is one of the areas I focused on probably, you know, from college and a few years and gradually went into interior design and interior designs where I truly found the love. I love taking a concept that I have from concept to reality. As far as, you know, if someone has an idea in their head, you know, you have it on paper and you actually can show them how it can be done and they come in with that aha moment. So I feel like that has truly been a pinnacle part of my creative process. And then you both decided to work together. Yes. Start this organization. Talk us right. through that a little bit, Amanda, because like we said, you know, it's great working with family, but it can mm -hmm. be challenging. Business is a challenging environment. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, as you say, if you work with family, that can be difficult because you don't want to like upset one another. But then you've still got the, the business to do at the end of the day. So talk to us about, you know, how that came about, because obviously you're very close knit. Right. So we like we've mentioned, we both love design, uh, all aspects of it. And so when we came up with this idea of 
sharing Mystic, and, you know, we've grown up loving Mystic, and our parents moved here about 12 years ago, so we've had many opportunities to enjoy the area. So when Rob, you know, had this idea, like, we should, you know, really celebrate Mystic, and it's have this apparel design company, then that's how we came together. And it's also great because working with the brother, you can bounce ideas off each other. We might have one idea and he might have another. We don't come to like an agreement on what's best for the company. So it's great in that aspect. And um, we just also just get along great. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, one, one interesting data point is that, you know, 90% of companies in the world, I just read this yesterday in The Economist, is, are actually family businesses, mm-hmm. family-led businesses, and, and they do present their challenges. But it is actually the norm, obviously, given that stat. But that, that aside, we actually almost started another business before this one together. So I think we were kind of bound to perhaps do something together. The, the business before this one was a, was a, a chowder business. We we're going to call it Graham's Chowder. And we have an incredible recipe from our family recipe from our grandmother. But as we've been already talking about a lot, we enjoy design much more than we do food products, a whole different industry. So, yeah, I think this was kind of a a partnership that was bound to be. Talk to us about why you both decided to go down the fashion stroke apparel route, because that's, as we said, business is tough. The clothing business is notorious. I mean, it's a notoriously tough business, not necessarily that, you know, always the highest of margins, depending on this, like the type of couture or whatever that you're actually selling. And then, of course, there's always that little thing in the background where we hear stories about, you know, sweatshops because you know, a lot of the stuff isn't made, obviously, here. So talk to us, uh, you know, about your thought processes, both of you, when you were thinking about, obviously, an apparel business and how you were going to, like, be ethical about it as well. Yeah, well, I think for me, apparel, fashion, design, it's an incredibly tangible. You get to wear it. And I, I think to me, that's something that I've recognized in my own kind of career is that I really want to work close to the consumer and I want to be able to provide tangible things to the consumer. So apparel just kind of is a really easy way to do that. And it, it, it isn't easy, but I don't think any business is easy, frankly. If that were the case, then of course, you know, more people would be entrepreneurs and more people would be doing this. So I think, you know, we have a level of expectation that there is going to be challenges, um, but, you know, we will we'll face those and we'll overcome them. But ultimately, apparel is just a, a perfect medium to be able to communicate and to reach a consumer and also to kind of bring my own, our own creativity into the world. Did you have any concerns, Amanda, you know, coming here to Mystic? Because as much as you love it, and it's, it is a great tourist town, I mean, we know, I'm not even going to go into figures because I don't yeah. have them, but, you know, thousands of people pour through right. here, you know, all the time sort of thing. But there's lots of other apparel shops here as well. Again, what was the thought and what was going to set you apart from them, did you feel? I think we both like to be on trends but also like to keep it classic. So I don't think we were finding that. So we just wanted to create something that people could have a classic design, but also be on trends um, and walk away with that. And also, you know, wear it for years to come, not just visit Mystic, wear it for a couple of weeks and then, you know, forget about it. So it's a brand we're creating. So, you know, going back to our classic, clean, simple design. And we we're just created that. Talk us through the clothes, uh, the apparel that you have, because, I mean, I would call it sort of more casual stroke leisure wear. Would that be a right term? But talk us through what it is that you have here. Basically, the design aesthetic of, you know, that will fit with most ages from young kids to older adults. So I feel like we just kind of set boundaries where, like, would a kid wear this? Yes. Would your mom wear this? Yes. So, but again, we also are going to slip into some trending items as well with graphics on t-shirts with the Mystic logo that we're using currently. 
And I'm guessing, was that created by you because you're the graphic designer? I'm, I'm guessing all the designs it's, are you. Uh, a lot of it is collaboration, but yes, for the most part. But uh, we have worked with a few other designers, and Rob's actually dabbling in it as well. So it's a lot of collaboration. How does it make you feel when you see people wearing your, your stuff? You must be incredibly... It's a little sur- surreal, yeah, since we've only really just... It's, uh, May will be our anniversary. So when we see people walking down the street, you're like, oh my, you know... Or um, actually, recently, a friend was visiting a college campus in North Carolina and saw someone wearing a Mystic T-shirt. You know, that she's like, I just saw someone walk by in North Carolina, you know, their shirt. That's amazing, you know. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Let me ask you a question about the Mystic, the whole Mystic, so like brand, as it were. You have the word Mystic on there. Did you have to sort of like get any form of legal so like um, copyright on it or anything to stop people from doing anything else with it? No, it's a, it's a town name. It's also just a an interesting word and an interesting name that I think carries weight beyond just being in town. So that question has come up a, a couple of times, but yeah, I mean, that's actually one of the barriers we didn't have. Let's talk a little bit more. I touched upon it earlier, obviously, about, you know, the the fashion industry and apparel can be rather renowned for so like sweatshops in other countries. Talk to us about how you're so like sourcing this, because we're going to be talking about something else which both of you support mm-hmm. and it means a lot to you in your business. But let's talk about, as I say, the clothing part of it first. Rob, how do you source it? How do you make sure that you're happy about what you're sourcing? You know, it's not effectively slave labor in some third world country or a developing country. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hugely, I would say this is one of the most challenging aspects of the business is sourcing. It not only takes a, a long time to find good sources and for the product to reach you, but of course, yeah, the, the, the part of the, you know, the due diligence to understand how is it being made. It's a long process that we're undergoing at the moment, uh, but I was actually in Bangladesh in, in January because Bangladesh is actually one of the leading uh, garment manufacturing countries in the world, along with China and, and Vietnam, and got to see a factory firsthand, you know, uh, with my own eyes. And frankly, you know, I brought a lot of video content back back here to show my sister. And, uh, you know, first thing she noticed was just how clean the factory was. And it is incredibly clean. It's very well run. People are taken care of. So I think whenever possible, as extreme as that may sound, I think visiting factories is really how you're going to you know, get that eyes on the ground, eyes on the process, eyes on the garment. And of course, you know, I think some manufacturers, you know, you have to be, you know, over time you can learn this, but, you know, say they may, you know, only show you what they want you to see. But, you know, the more you build good relationships with your manufacturers, you know, the more that you're going to see and the better you're going to understand how it's all being made. But yeah, it's, it's a very long process. Going back to Nike real quick, I mean, their product creation cycle is actually a two-year cycle from the time that they start introducing concepts to getting it manufactured. And so we're trying to, of course, shorten that being a much smaller business. But nonetheless, it's a very, very long process. And, you know, we execute this by, you know, meeting manufacturers through our network and then creating samples and reviewing those samples for, you know, for quality and overall execution. Then once we're satisfied with the samples, then we'll go to full production. Amanda, let me just touch on the same topic with you as well. I mean, you know, people are asking more questions now about where, you know, these things, you know, come from. So just how important was it to you as well? You know, Rob's told us about, you know, going and actually visiting a manufacturer. There's probably very few businesses that bother to even do that. Correct. So, you know, just explain to us, you know, from your point of view, how important all of this was. Well, I was obviously pleasantly surprised when he came back with the videos, just all the footage. Everyone seems like he mentioned well taken care of. The facilities were really well maintained. 
So that was nice to see because the last thing we want, you know, is our stuff being made in facilities that, you know, we wouldn't want anyone visiting. So it would be great down the road to visit more facilities, you know, once we do decide on our concepts and the samples that we're going to go with. So let's talk about the the other thing which is important to both of you, which is the planet. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, the environment should be important to all of us. Right. There is something that you both hold very dear to not only yourselves, but obviously the business. And it's a, an organization called 1% for the Planet. Rob, explain to us why that was so important and what that means by way of what do you do with 1% with the planet? Yeah, 1% for the planet, for people who don't know, is uh, founded by Yvonne Chouinard, who's founder of Patagonia. And yeah, it's an organization that is committed to giving a percentage of sales back to environmental nonprofits. And, you know, we recognize, as we've been talking about that, you know, it's hard to build a business that is sustainable, that does the right thing. But, you know, one of the things you can do right off the bat is just give some of your sales back to nonprofits that are absolutely in business to do nothing but the right thing and just truly to, you know, support the planet. We recognize that, you know, apparel does, of course, have its negative impacts on the planet. And so, you know, 1%, 1% for the planet is, is a way for us to easily, not necessarily easily, easy, because we are, we are giving up a portion of our sales, but it's a way for us to, you know, do our part to give back. One touch on this with you, Amanda, and Rob sort of mentioned this earlier about, you know, trends and things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that Nike takes a certain amount of time, obviously, if it's, you know, bringing in new products, etc. But, you know, we've mentioned about, you know, following trends. How do you do that? And and how far do you go with that as well? Because you can go to the extreme and it's very easy mm-hmm. for a business to fall into like, oh, we must go down that route. And then suddenly it's like, yep, that's no longer trendy anymore. Right. And thousands of dollars has been spent. Mm-hmm. So how do you like, how do you follow that and then make sure that you're just being sensible about that? I think you, you know, in some ways do follow the fashion industry and also realize that things do circle back around. You know, I have teenagers so I kind of see what they're into as well and that helps research I mean, you don't want to just put one di- one idea out there and then the next day have another one so we like we'll focus on like a spring line or a summer line and you know basically we still keep to our classic but trending but simple I feel like we just keep going back to that and it seems to work how much time do you have to give? Because obviously, you know, seasons come around quickly right. sort of thing. So, I mean, as we record this with you mm-hmm. now, we're spring, right. waiting to go into summer. Are you already looking at this winter? Uh, we are. Yeah, we're looking at the colors. Like, colors are what's trending for fall and winter. Yes, absolutely. It's a lot of forward thinking, mm-hmm. isn't there? Which, is. again, people don't realize. They come and see the lovely clothes on, yes. on the hooks here. It's yeah. like, buy them. And then, you know, but the reality is, yeah, you're already sort of like heading towards the end of the year. Because I guess it's all that ramping up, you know, getting it manufactured, formulating all the designs, etc. Right. What about like materials? We see like all sorts of new materials coming around. So like these like stretchy four-way materials have suddenly become very trendy again, sort of thing. So again, is it? It's not just the design aspect. Is it's like all this new material? Yes. For even for summer, we might even uh, experiment with a terry cloth sweatshirt, just a lighter weight over a fleece. um, See, you know, everything is about experimenting. So we do at this point in our business see what has to work, what doesn't work. What's the five-year plan, Rob, moving <laughs> forward? I mean, I know you've got to this point, you had a pop-up, you now have got this beautiful storefront in downtown Mystic. How old are you? Said uh, Somebody said there was an anniversary. What's, what's the anniversary? Yes, we moved into this space May 14th last year. Okay, so it's, it's one year here. Coming up on one year. So what is the sort of the plan? Because, I mean, I know people ask about five-year plans, and there may not necessarily be something set in concrete at the moment, but, uh, I mean, all businesses are always looking to see where they're heading. 
we're going to continue to build this as a as its true brand. You know, I think some of the products, so some of the products that are coming out in the next few months are going to be our own branded private labeled product that we have sourced and that we have designed and you know we are we are manufacturing so that's going to be a big milestone for us just in the in the very near future that is also setting up a foundation for the long term which is then to move into more boutique retailers around the region and beyond so you know we'll maintain this store this location as a as a flagship location of course given the name but it's now you know it's starting to think about how do we expand and push the brand into the retailers that you know we think capture kind of the, the same spirit that we have. So it's it's expanding the brand, expanding our reach um, through through wholesale. And Amanda, um, I know you've got a great website, and mm-hmm. of course, you know, so many people these days like to purchase things online. So people can they can not just look at your stuff; can they also buy online as well? Do you yeah. do that? They can absolutely buy at justmystic.com, and we can also shop through Instagram at justmysticshop, where you can follow and shop. So you've covered all the bases. I think so. So we've got brick and mortar. We've yes. got online. Anything else? Uh, the only other thing I, I would go back to is, you know, we, we talked about 1%, 1% for the planet. And, you know, we, we've chosen one particular nonprofit that we're giving uh, a portion of our sales to. And that's GreenWave. They're based in New Haven. And GreenWave exists to train ocean farmers who are literally creating kelp farms. One of those farms is actually based very close by called Stonington Kelp Co. Not only do we love 1% for the planet, but specifically we can, we love diving deeper into the kelp industry um, as we see that as being kind of a, a key uh, ingredient in driving positive impact for the planet. So, you know, it, it's quite possible in the future as we get even smarter that we'll try to figure out how can we make, you know, how can we use kelp as a material in some of our products. So more to come on that. Oh, absolutely. Well, we can make sort of like with hemp, we can make beautiful <laughs> clothing out of hemp. So yeah, absolutely. Why can't we use uh, something else? I'm sure it's absolutely possible. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We've really just only scratched the surface, but congratulations, obviously, on this beautiful storefront, Just Mystic, as I say, by the Baskill Bridge in downtown Mystic. A continued success with your business. And thanks for being on the podcast. All right, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. And for more details about Just Mystic and to purchase items online, visit their website at justmystic.com. Looking for a -a one-of-a-kind experience this season? Visit Wicked Tulips, the place where happiness blooms. Imagine walking through more than 700,000 tulips of all different shapes, colors, and scents. You can find just that at our farm in Preston, Connecticut. We're open seven days a week through the month of May, and entry is ticket only. Ready to tiptoe through the tulips? What are you waiting for? Just go to wickedtulips.com for more. Cookies, cookies, cookies. Come and celebrate the grand opening of the Art Eastern Connecticut's new cookie factory. Discover why people can't get enough of our classic crunch chocolate chip cookies. Visit the Cookie Factory at 22 Route 171, Woodstock, Connecticut, and support us as we walk in partnership with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. The Ark's classic crunch chocolate chip cookie, more than just a great cookie. Visit thearkect.com and find out more. It's spring, the growing season, and Green Valley Tree is doing some growing of its own. We've moved from our old location to a much bigger space, and we have openings for a crane operator and foreman to join our growing team of tree professionals, too. For details about our services and to apply for our job positions, visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com or call us on 860-234-4041. 
Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. The future of a new 48-bed substance use disorder facility in New London, Connecticut, remains uncertain after the state's Office of Health Strategy denied the operator's request for a certificate of need again. Landmark Recovery, a Tennessee-headquartered addiction treatment organization, has been attempting to open their first Connecticut facility for well over a year and has met all local zoning and planning regulations in the city of New London. Jeff Berm is Landmark Recovery's Senior Vice President of Acquisitions and Development and says they intend to appeal the decision in the Connecticut Superior Court and will start the process over again if necessary. We're also going to start working fresh on a new certificate of need that states from the beginning that we want to serve the Medicaid population in Connecticut and we need to prove that there is a need for more bed in the drug and alcohol rehabilitation world in Connecticut. Berm says the current situation of blocking them from operating is costing the company a lot of money, but also denying local people essential services. Aside from the $3 million or so that we put into the construction alone, I mean, you can imagine that we would have been open a, over a year ago had the CON came in favorably for us and on time, then we would have already been operating. I don't have the numbers for that exactly, but you can imagine it's probably considerable that many patients over that period of time. A statement from the Connecticut Office of Health Strategy said that the burden of proof was on landmark recovery to meet requirements under Connecticut statutes and they had failed to satisfy the applicable criteria. Connecticut State Treasurer Eric Russell kicked off Eastern Connecticut State University's Diversity Week recently. The 84th State Treasurer was the keynote speaker at the event and spoke openly to students and faculty about himself and his background. It was critical for me to come in not only in office but even when I ran to really run as my authentic self, run as someone who grew up with very little, run as someone who grew up in a tough neighborhood, run as, you know, first person in my family to to graduate from college, run being openly gay and having my husband by my side throughout my campaign. Russell said to change existing policies and thinking there has to be more diversity in the types of people who run for things like public office. Conversations around diversity and inclusion are so critical and Eastern has done such an incredible job both with this program but just really making diversity and inclusion a priority here at the campus and I'm happy to be here and support it. I obviously am a a product of a lot of this work myself and it's always been something that I'm passionate about and I think as we have more diversity and more inclusion bringing different perspectives to the table, we ultimately end up with better product. Easton's Diversity Week helps to celebrate the uniqueness of people in the entire community and will conclude with a Take Back the Night event dedicated to empowering survivors of sexual and gender-based violence and remembering Easton student Alicia Wiley, who was murdered back in 2013 as a result of domestic violence. People in southeastern Connecticut will be getting an insight into the world of kelp and kelp farming during the New England Kelp Harvest Week. Kelp is a seaweed that grows naturally in the waters of Long Island Sound, and as kelp farmer Susie Flores explains, it has many benefits for us and our environment that people aren't aware of. Absorbing excess carbon and nitrogen from the ocean, cultivating seaweed can provide habitat for other species, and it can also absorb energy from storm surges. So these are just some of the many ways that these seaweed farms are really a benefit to our shoreline. 
Flores is one of several kelp farmers in Connecticut and cultivates sugar kelp, which can be eaten and provides the seaweed to local restaurants in the state and Rhode Island. Flores also helps to organize the Harvest Week and says they are helping to educate children about kelp's benefits and the wider community too. We're going to do like a walkthrough of kelp and how they can include kelp in their curriculum. And this is all offered through the Yellow Farmhouse, which is a Connecticut-based, Stonington-based nonprofit. And then on April 22nd, that same nonprofit, along with all of the Connecticut seaweed farmers, will be gathering at Graysell Brewery, and we're going to be doing a kind of small kelp primer, explaining to people like, this is kelp, and we're all just going to be around to answer people's questions. Details about the activities of the New England Kelp Harvest Week can be found at their website, newenglandkelp.com, and the event runs until April 30th. <music> That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.